The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Um, well, I guess we all braved the rain to <laughs> didn't melt. Um, I thought this morning to say uh, a few words about the, the value of relaxation meditation practice. Um, maybe we could say the skill of relaxation. Um, one, one of the things we can notice after a period of meditation, after a sitting like we just did, is is just to notice if we feel more relaxed after the sitting than before the sitting. And um, I'll say a little bit more about why that might be interesting to notice, but um, just for now to say that it's possible to uh, feel more relaxed, more refreshed after a period of meditation than we do after just about any other activity that, you know, waking up from a nap or waking up from sleeping or, or some other uh, activity that we do to, you know, intentionally relax, take a bath or watch, kind of zone out and watch something on television or, uh, have a glass of wine or, you know, whatever the, the various things we do. Um, there, there can be something about meditation practice, something about Dharma practice that is deeply relaxing. And um, the idea is that uh, the value in relaxation is not only in just the the pleasant, the pleasant sensation, the pleasant feeling of releasing tension, releasing physical stress, but um, that there is this close connection, this intimate connection between our physical tension and our physical uh, tightness and our mental activity, our mental tension, our mental tightness, our clinging. So the idea is that um, maybe in relaxing the body, we, through the body, we find a portal into the mind, into the heart, and in a way that helps us to see where our mental tension is, where our... um, the ways that we um, uh, resist in the heart, in the mind. And and this is all reflected in the body, maybe, maybe. So um, one of the reasons I was thinking about this topic is that yesterday I, I went in to donate blood for, you know, probably the first time in uh, many years. Um, 
And, you know, like most people, I don't love needles. I don't, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. So I knew it wasn't going to be that fun, but I thought, well, it'll be okay. And, and it was okay. It was fine. But there was this period of, if you've donated blood or you know this process, and for the first time going into the specific blood bank, there's, there's quite a thorough screening. And there's an interview process. And, a, and I kind of thought I'd go in and the whole thing might take 20 minutes. But um, there was about an hour of questions, of filling out a thing on the computer, and then asking questions. And, and then lots of periods of, of me sitting in the office by myself while the person went out and came out. All this time, I'm just thinking about that needle. <laughs> and, um, and then at a certain point, I realized that there was almost this magnet of the mind was going to, was visualizing something painful and was sort of imagining the most painful possible moment and just, and just sort of helplessly replaying that over and over. I thought, this is crazy, you know. Um, and what I did wasn't just sitting in the chair and waiting to answer questions, just started to relax the body and noticing that there was some tension, noticing... And in that relaxing the body, it helped to see that the, the more relaxed the body was, the more I could see the connection between difficult thoughts or painful, stressful images or thoughts and how that affected the body. And so just noticing this and just realizing, you know, I didn't need to, I didn't need to do anything. I didn't need to worry about where the needle was going to go. I just needed to relax and do nothing. And then it was fine, and it all, and it all, went, it all went well. Um, when I think back, one of, the, one of the most helpful teachings for me that one of my teachers offered on, on a meditation retreat um, was just this idea that whenever there is any sense of, of tension or any sense of struggle in a meditation period, this itself is a sign that there's something that's not being open to. There's something that's not being accepted. So whenever there is any sense of tension, any sense of struggle in the meditation, this itself is our sort of mindfulness bell or our cue. So, oh, look here. Sit here. This is where we put our cushion. This is where we look. Because this, this sense of struggle um, maybe has something very valuable to offer us. And it might be more valuable to, to sort of stop and stay with this node of tension, this node of resistance rather than just sort of try to block it out or try to go back to the breath or just, you know, or imagine a, a white light or imagine a, a, um, a, a placid lake. You know, there's, there's something to being with 
this um, sense of difficulty, this sense of struggle um, that, that maybe is very important. Also in my practice, when after, after doing a number of week-long retreats, I noticed this pattern that at the end of every retreat, I had a lot of pain right here in the, the kind of the shoulders or whatever that muscle is. And I think a lot of people did because the teacher would often have someone go around and massage people at the end of an you know, intensive retreat. Um, but I started to wonder, why did I have pain there? You know, it's not such an obvious place of, you know, sitting. And what I realized was that there was an unconscious tensing. You know, I had this idea of I have to sit up straight, be still. And in doing that, there's something extra was added, some extra kind of muscle tension. This is maybe a little exaggerated, but it was sort of like, this (laughs) and um, just just learning to bring that into consciousness to bring that unconscious tension into awareness was was more than half half the battle and then in a sitting I would notice every time you know could be five minutes in, ten minutes into a sitting, often in connection to some thought. Oh, there it goes, you know, sort of like, I don't know exactly what it's about, but it's a little bit of bracing against life, maybe, you know, this kind of bracing for impact. And ah, take a deep breath, relax the shoulders. And maybe I do that a hundred times. A hundred times they would go up, and a hundred times I'd relax them. And just in going through that process was very valuable. Um, the other place that I've noticed it, and I know a lot of people have, have tension, is in the belly. You know, um, Stephen Levine, Stephen Levine, who's a wonderful uh, Dharma teacher and who, who recently passed away, he, he often talked about this soft belly meditation of just sitting and intentionally softening the belly letting the belly be very soft. And when the belly's soft, it's possible to breathe in a deeper way, you know, with the diaphragmatic breathing. And, you know, we know that, you know, if you look at a baby or you look at a young child, they have this very soft belly that's just, you know, really free, really soft. And so the idea is when we sit, bring our attention into the belly and then just notice when the belly begins to tighten, when the belly begins to contract. And without judgment, without, you know, it, it's, not a, it's not wrong, it's not, you know, it's just interesting. It's just interesting to begin to see these connections. And, and what we may start to notice is that there's habit involved, there's conditioning involved, there's... Um, often a connection between our mental activity, what we're thinking about. 
And then, you know, it's like, you know, oh, this is nice just sitting here. Oh, did I close the garage door? (laughs) You know, or whatever it is, whatever it is. Um, So just to notice that and, and and just to begin to bring some of this unconscious physical tension into awareness. The other thing that comes up for me is um, I'm in the process of learning and have have a little bit of a practice of of the Chinese um, moving meditation and martial art called Tai Chi, Tai Chi Chuan, and Tai Chi is. I think I believe the translation from the Chinese means the supreme ultimate fist, Tai Chi Chuan, supreme ultimate boxing. So you think, okay, it's this violent, you know, boxing. Um, but one of the beautiful um, aspects of Tai Chi, and maybe you could say the central aspect, is that the pivot point, the center of it, is based on relaxation. The more relaxed person, if there's a if there's a sort of um, like a combat, it's not really combat, a kind of push hands or some sort of encounter between two practitioners, the more relaxed person is the person who will quote unquote win. The reason being that um, the way to move one's opponent is to touch in to their tension. And if the person doesn't have any tension there, it's like trying to push air. You know, there's nothing there to push. My teacher is in his early 90s and he said to his teacher that there was nothing there. When you try to push him, nothing there. One of the, one of the other great stories about this sort of relaxation and these Tai Chi masters is having the master would have a bird that would land on his hand. And then the bird couldn't fly. And I thought, why couldn't the bird fly? You know, to fly, the bird has to flap their wings and they have to push off against some tension. And if we, I, you, are so relaxed and so sensitive that every time the bird begins to exert some tension, we equally <laughs> move. There's, there's nothing to push against. And the bird, the bird will just stay there. We won't, can't move. And I thought, wow, that's quite an amazing uh, sensitivity, sensitivity. Or the other story that my teacher tells is, when his teacher was riding in a car and, and then they went to get gas and then he said, the front right tire is a little bit low. <laughs> Check it. <laughs> yeah, sure enough, it was a, you know, that sensitivity of, of, of being so in tune, so in touch to know that the pressure was a tiny bit off in one tire of a car. So this is, this is a little bit extreme. But um, the idea is 
that we carry around with us a kind of core tension, a core physical tension, which corresponds to our um, mental activity of, of clinging, of tightness, which creates suffering. Um, and one of the key um, Dharma teachings in all of this is that um, to make a self, to be, um, to have a sort of, um, to basically have the self-centeredness that all of us have sometimes is itself a form of tension, a form of mental tension. And part of the value or maybe a lot of the value in learning to sense into the physical tension that may be present is to let us see the mental tension, the mental uh, tightness that, that, that is in a fundamental way somehow struggling with how things are, resisting how things are and creating unnecessary suffering for ourselves. And one of the one of the invitations of meditation practice as a training, um, as as a sort of uh, progressive deepening of a set of skills is that we are able to access deeper and deeper levels of relaxation, deeper and deeper um, levels of letting go of tension. Um, So much so that it's sometimes said that the mind that is not trained, the, the untrained mind, can never fully relax, you know. So I, I think in our everyday life, we make approximations towards relaxation, you know. If we think of all the different ways that we, you know, just naturally build up tension, mental tension, physical tension in a day, and then we try to release that tension, you know, somehow in some ways that are skillful, some ways maybe not so skillful, um, and this idea that there is a way of training the mind that can access deep, deep states of relaxation um, I think wh- I'll just say a few words on, on how, this, how this can function for us how, how to sort of begin this process Um, when we begin to see the connection between our mental activity and the the physical sensations, um, we may notice that the more mindfulness is present, the more mindfulness that can be present with thinking, the less we are sort of inside the movie. And the less it's sort of um, 
unconsciously expressed in the body. So one example of this is if we're sitting in meditation and then we are remembering, we're we're remembering uh, an argument we had with someone that was stressful, that was difficult. One way of doing that is to be so entranced with the the thoughts and the images of that argument that we're right there. We are reliving that argument in the moment. And with all of the physiological, you know, consequences of that, the heart rate goes up, the blood maybe rushes to the, to the face, or if, if there's anger, um, other thoughts ha- come, other physiological responses. You know, we are, to the, the body, it's just about the same as, as being there. Um, this is the, the blessing and the um, pain or the, and, the, and the suffering of having a vivid imagination, which we're, as human beings, we have. And so, so that's one way of, being, of having mental activity. Another way is to have some thoughts or some memories of this argument come up and there's mindfulness that's accompanying these thoughts. And there's a way that we're, we sort of step back, even if it's just half a step back, and we are um, aware that memory is happening. We're aware that thinking is happening. You know, this would be analogous to being in a movie theater and at some point remembering, oh, this is a movie, you know, and then and, and noticing the beam of light coming from the back that's onto a screen and just noticing that, oh, I'm sitting here watching a movie and this is, this is, and there's all these other people here and and it's not exactly real in the way that it felt real just a split second ago. There's this sort of shift of perspective. And it doesn't mean we don't follow the storyline, that we don't care, that, you know, that it isn't enjoyable. But actually, movies are enjoyable because we know in some level that they're not real, Right? If it were really, really, really real, it wouldn't be that much fun to watch, you know, certain kinds of movies or something. You know, there's this, there's this sense that we go to lose ourselves. But with knowing, somewhere we know that, okay, this is going to end. I'm going to get up. I'm going to open the door. It's going to be bright out. It's and in the same way, when the mind can relax... You know, when, when some kind of tension or some kind of core, core struggle, core tension can be released, then there can be a shift of perception in the mind. That it's, we're not taking things so um, I say, we, we have more ease around things. We're not taking things so I say so literally or so seriously. It's not quite the, the sense. 
but it's the it's that um, shifting out of the solidity that can sometimes lock us in the fixed view. This is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. You know, we have one difficult exchange with someone. It's like, well, this is how they are. This is how they're always going to be. This is how a relationship is always going to be. And it's like, no, you know, maybe they're just irritated. Maybe I'm just irritated. Maybe, you know. And there's this, this flexibility, this softness that we start to bring into how we perceive the world, how we perceive ourselves. And this softness is, I would say, the dharma. This is the dharma. This, this um, soft, flexible mind. You know, maybe, maybe so. Yeah, maybe. You know, not, not needing to be so sure. Um, not needing to figure it all out. Um, one of my teachers says, instead of try harder, how about try softer? Which <laughs> is great. What is it to try softer? Um, and that, that, that relaxing the body, relaxing the mind becomes such a gift. It's a gift to ourselves. It's a gift to others. And it is, the way I think about it is the relaxation itself sends this signal. It's like this reinf- it's the reinforcing um, feedback loop. When the body is relaxed, it sends a signal that things are okay. It may not be perfect. I may not be as relaxed as I could, as the, as the Buddha was and, you know, such and such time. But the more relaxed I am, the more it just sends this signal that things are okay. And when we have that basic sense of safety, basic sense of trust, um, it's a great thing. It's, it's, this, is, this is what... Um, allows us to go deeper and deeper into um, our own hearts, our own minds, and release more and more. You know, it's that um, movement of, of Dharma practice towards more and more relaxation, more and more ease, brings along with it less and less of a need to do less and less of a need to become something, become something for others, become something for, for ourselves, to make something happen, uh, to assert something onto the world. It's more of this um, gentle receiving, this receiving of experience. And um, the more we can tune into this mode of being, maybe the more peace will be available. You know, this, this sort of delicious peace that comes from the absence of something. It's not created, it's not forced. We don't have to be perfect or be so different than how we are. It's really this sensing into... Um, 
a mode of being that involves less and less doing, less and less doing, um, more ease. Um, And in this ease, the mind naturally settles. The mind naturally um, can become concentrated. We, we, we began to sense into the peace that maybe was always there, but it was, it was a little bit covered over or a little bit blocked by our, you know, that, um, that move towards bracing, bracing against life. And... Um, So in a way, we can um, the the way to release tension is not to struggle with it, because that just creates more tension. <laughs> and one of the most effective ways that I've seen that I've, for myself and with others is this movement of just bowing to it, whatever our difficulties are, whatever the tension, the struggle. It's trying to help us. In some way, it's trying to protect us, defend us. And if there can be this acknowledgement of that, thank you, but, and I don't need you anymore. You know, it's like, oh, something can be released. Something in the heart, maybe it can be released. And we can we can understand meditation as as truly this deep rest, you know, this wonderful place to come and simply rest, rest the heart, rest the mind, rest the body. So, thank you very much. Thank you for your attention. If we have a few minutes, is, is, is if anyone has any questions or thoughts about this, or if you'd like to share your experience. Can I say something about not trying? You know, in, in Zen, they give you these riddles, you have to solve these riddles, but the point of Zen is not solving the the koan. It has nothing to do with the koan. It's getting the other than conscious mind to to come in and think about something. Not your conscious mind, but the other than conscious mind. Yeah. And, and that's how you solve the that's how you don't even solve no, no don't even use the word solve. That's how you get into the mode. Yeah, yeah. Reinforce your idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, one one of the ways that these Zen riddles, Zen koans, I think, work is that they um, they get they just as you're saying they get you can't solve them by figuring them out. So they get us to a point where we give up. And that's, you know, we give up this struggle, we give up this trying to figure it out, something can be released. 
Yeah, I have a question. You are telling us um, when we sit and or kind of relieving the past memories of either pleasure or the moment, tense moment, uh, you put yourself distance as if watching movie scenes. So kind of naturally you, you can put yourself a little distance so you're not all emotionally so involved in that. So my question, I think that was an excellent, excellent point. But my question is, what if it's not relieving moments, but if it's a real moment? How would you do it? Do you put yourself still come to mind to, to put yourself in distance when you are really in, involved in some you know, intense moment with arguing with your family members or friends or whatever? Yeah. How, yeah. Would you, how would you deal with that? Well, that Compared is, to relieving moments yeah, of yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, and I think the, one of the main values of learning how to um, disentangle ourselves from the mental activity when we're doing something like meditating and something comes up is when we're in, you know, actually an encounter with someone or a difficult conversation or an argument or a children or being difficult. Um, we've, we have some familiarity with the skill of disentangling, of actually, rather than being caught up in arguing, in my case, it's, you know, arguing with a five-year-old, you know, and, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> yes, <laughs> wait a second, <laughs> this is, it's not going to work. And actually, if I don't, if I'm not present enough to, or mindful enough to sense my own irritation, anger, frustration, it's very easy to lash out. You know, it's very easy in the moment to, you know. Um, whereas if there's just that sort of ability to shift the perspective, soften the perspective a bit, you're like, wait a second. This person is five years old, and they're tired, and they're cranky, and I'm tired. And if I just distract her for a minute, <laughs> I can just diffuse all this. Or if I just can be mindful enough to perceive the deeper, you know, there have been times when I felt in myself a lot of irritation or anger, but was able in, in one of my children to sense that what they needed was a hug, actually. And then if I just said, hang on, do you need a hug? You know, and it totally changed the, the energy and the situation. But it was, it was through this shift of perspective. If I, you know, I had good reason to be annoyed and I was annoyed and, you know, I could just keep going on that train. But there, at, at a certain, what mindfulness does is, it doesn't change the emotions necessarily, but it gives us a choice where we think we, we, we might not have had a choice. We're just, I'm just reacting you know, someone cuts me off on the freeway and it's just, ah. With mindfulness, it creates these moments of choice 
where we can notice what's happening. And then sometimes maybe we choose, no, I really need to express this anger. I really need to let this person know what I really think of them. (laughs) But at least there's a sort of, you know, and maybe that wasn't the right choice, but at least there was a sort of, there was a moment when I thought, hmm, you know, we, and that's where the freedom is. You know, it's the freedom to maybe to choose a different way or to, um, so that's, I don't know, that's, that's one way of, of thinking about it. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But I think in real life, um, the ability to have a, a more 360, a global mindfulness. So we're not just inside our ideas, inside our emotions, but we're noticing what's happening in our body. We're noticing the room. We're noticing the other person. If the more mindful I am, if we're having a conflict, I'm not just hearing what you're saying, but I'm able to tune into maybe what are, what are the, what's, what are the, what's underneath that? What are the motivations? What's the intention? What's driving you? And if I can speak to that in a way that sometimes that can change the energy, diffuse the situation. So, thank you. Thank you for your comments um, on this topic. I wanted to uh, build on that a little bit and ask a question about um, in cases where where somebody has um, some some kind of traumatic experiences that are really kind of deeply stored within the ner- nervous system. Um, whether it's large or small, but there's something there that kind of elicits this, you know, fight or flight or the tension that you're talking about automatically, and it's it's a physiological response to, like, a trigger or a memory or, you know, anything like that. Um, you know, what, what advice would you have, or how do you think about that, and how can mindfulness and meditation kind of help in, in those situations when, when that arises? Yeah, thank you. That's, it's a great question, and it's one of the um, trauma is what you know is. I mean, it's a little bit of a buzzword these days, but it's 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 there's um, one of the things that we've realized as, as in the Dharma community, meditation community, as we've become more educated about the nature of, 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 of trauma and, um, and how widespread it is and how often through meditation traumatic memories come up and, and arise the nature of trauma is that um, sort of like what I was talking about with the, with the, the needle and giving blood. And it's, it's a, the nature of a traumatic 
memory or image or something is that it's like a magnet. We're drawn to it. A traumatized person can be drawn to the trauma, the memory of the trauma, or the image of the trauma, the way a moth is to the light. It has this magnet. And there's, there's something in the nature of trauma that pulls us towards it. And then we're inside it. We may be reliving it. Or, um, so one thing is just, is just to understand that... Um, what's the word? That... Um, that... that to understand that draw uh, of our attention to the trauma. And um, it, it can be very helpful in meditation or in working with someone. You know, there's um, one of the modalities that, that people find very helpful and very compatible with meditation is called somatic experiencing. And in a way, it's like a two-person meditation and sort of like a guided meditation. And one of the ways that, so I think one can learn to do this oneself, but it's, it's often helpful to have a few sessions with someone, is um, that the nature of the nervous system gets very activated by trauma. So how to find ways of settling the nervous system. And in, in somatic experiencing, it's called... Um, does anyone know what, remember what it's called? To find your place of, um, it's basically means to find your place of safety or ease. And so the therapist may say, where do you, where do you feel this traumatic memory in the body? And you say, okay, why well, my shoulders or the, ch- the stomach, the tummy. And they say, okay, where don't you feel it? You know, I don't know, my whole body feels it. My whole body's shaking, my whole body well, what about your big toe? Is your big toe nervous? Is your big toe? Well, no. Okay, so we kind of learn to find places in the body that have some degree of ease. And, and And then from that ease, we learn to it's sort of like retraining ourselves not to just be obsessed with the trauma, but to, to touch into it little by little, which they call titrating. Um, so anyway, th- these are just kind of piecemeal things. I think um, for, so- for some people, meditation itself is not indicated, is not, is not a healthy thing if you're dealing with certain kinds of traumas. Like if a person has um, a very strong trauma about being abandoned, abandonment, maybe the parents left this person or something, to meditate in a room full of silent people where nobody looks at you, nobody acknowledges you, you know, because everybody's just meditating, right? And um, that can be re- re-traumatizing or... or um, when I was practicing more in the Zen tradition, people had a, a lot of problems with the stick <laughs> that the teacher would walk around and, and hit people with a stick. This is a Japanese thing, and it's not particularly painful. It's supposed to help your meditation, but it makes a very loud, intimidating bang, 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 
you know, and going through. There are people who were really, really triggered by that. Um, if you know, you can you can just see that having um, uh, if one has had a background of physical abuse, for example. So that's largely been stopped here. You know, it was an Asian practice that we basically don't do much anymore um, just because it seems like the harm has outweighed the benefits of it. Um, And I think in a way, trauma is... Everyone has some kind of trauma. And it's, it's more to degrees. And... Um, as we often say, uh, as much as we can, as I kind of started out this morning, as much as, much as we can attend to the body and find it in the body, trauma always has a mental component of images, of memories, of thoughts that will be expressed in the body in some way. If we can simply be with the sensations and the experience of the body and let that guide us um, without feeling the need to, even though I said whenever there's any sense of struggle, stay with that, it doesn't mean you have to stay with that exclusively. And the nature of trauma sort of wants you to stay with it exclusively. It wants you to sort of, like I was just sitting there and just, just imagining, you know, the needle and looking at the needles and, and you know, it was just like, I just couldn't, I was just locked in that. And then through being with the body and relaxing the body, there was this shift that could happen in the mind. And it was like, well, wait a second, I don't have to think about that. You know, I don't have to figure this out. They're going to do it. Um, so that was, that was freeing for me. Um, but I would say work with the body, um, not to... F- um, not to feel the need to stay with something that's difficult because it can be very overwhelming. You know, so finding places of safety, places of ease, places of calm in the body, and then sort of really titrating, you know, from that place of ease, from that place of safety, we have more capacity to be with what's difficult. So we're building up, you know, so classically things like metta practice, builds up this sense of ease, builds up this sense of safety, that we can hold something that's difficult. Um, just to say one more thing, and this, sorry for this long rambling answer, but when I was waiting there in the office, thinking about the needles, thinking about, oh, right, they use a much bigger needle when you donate blood, don't they? <laughs> Which they do, <laughs> not to the, because the blood has to go faster. And I was in this space and I thought, well, I'll just check my, I'll just open my phone and look at my phone. And I saw an article about something that was very distressing to me about the, not to go all into it, but it was the, the Sandy Hook tragedy, the Sandy Hook thing and the, the, the people who were denying that that happened. And there was a picture of a little boy and I just about broke down. You know, and just seeing that child and just, and it was like coming from this place of, of really strong contraction around the needles, around the things of that. And then just this other thing, it was just one, there was just the straw that broke the, and it was like, 
Whereas if I had been maybe meditating, if I had been, um, you know, um, soaking in metta, in in stillness, in ease, um, there would be more of a capacity, not that it wouldn't be any less painful, but somehow more of a capacity to hold something that's difficult that came in. It was just very interesting when when my being was really um, wound up and tight, it was so brittle. And there wasn't that softness. There wasn't that, you know, and the softness doesn't mean that we don't feel pain or we don't feel, but there's, there's, it can be held in something, you know. Um, so I hope there's something in there that... <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. See you next week. <laughs>